We're making our way through James, so if you turn in your copy of God's Word to James chapter 4, you can have it in front of you. Let me read it for us today. We're going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray, and then we'll look at this text. Father, we thank you for the word that's before us. We thank you that you didn't leave us without truth. Father, you didn't leave us without truth about who you are, who we are, and our great need of Christ. Father, we thank you that you didn't leave us without the provision for our needs. That provision is met in Jesus. Today, I pray that you would open our blind eyes and our deaf ears. Your word says that we can't understand it without the Spirit doing that, so we pray for that. May we be transformed by, by your word. Father, to no longer live for our own pleasures, but for the pleasures of God. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen. We're going to hit the, this text um, under three or four main headings. The first one is uh, trouble at its source, verse 1, and then trouble as it travels, kind of what it does as we keep living for ourselves, verse 2, and then trouble troubles everything, verse 3, and then thankfully... Uh, Jesus, the hope for our troubles, and that's the last. So we'll kind of hit it that way. Let me read a quote from a Scottish theologian in the 19th century, James Robert Johnston. Um, There's some big words in here, words that I'm like, okay, not the ones I throw around every day, not the ones that we hear every day. Uh, Men and women who on the Sabbath have sat side by side at the Lord's table and drunk of the common cup of love will scowl and, and culminate and thwart each other all the week long, such as to remind one of the host of Midian in the night of Gideon's victory, when every man's sword was turned against his fellow throughout all the hosts. You got that, right? Perfectly, yeah. What he's saying is this. He's saying it's a terrible thing that Christians can gather together at the table of the Lord on the Sabbath day and all week long fight against each other and say all manners of evil against each other, trying to put others down and take life away from them so you can build your own life up. It says it's a, it's a horrible thing. And our individualistic American tradition really pushes us into that, to live for ourselves and not for the Lord and for one another. Robert Cottell uh, I listened to this, or I actually read his uh, book on the Sermon on the Mount commentary. Uh, in that commentary, he says this, The sad and heartbreaking truth is that the church in general is a most unloving and a most dangerous place to be. It is safer to be in the world. In fact, I think it's safer, probably safer to be a hawker in Somalia with their warlords than it is to be an active Christian in the church. At least you can see a gun. You can hear the explosion. But in the church, the gun goes off. You only hear about it three weeks later when the devastation is complete and the destruction is over and when blood is everywhere. There's stories like this, and we have the caricature of the American church is not a safe place to be. It's a place that 
There's all kind of envy and, and strife. And uh, it goes against what James has been telling us is the Lord's desire, a desire for unity and peace and oneness of purpose and oneness of intent. Uh, the Lord himself, it says in Ephesians 4, or in Ephesians, that the Lord himself is our peace. I think it's 2.14, but it's in Ephesians. That the Lord himself is our peace. And, and so uh, every time we live our relationships uh, for our own interest and cause division and disunity, it strikes at the Father's will for peace in the church, and it strikes at the very person of Christ. He is our peace. Throughout my study uh, on this particular text, uh, over and over and over, the commentaries and the sermons I listened to, they said that the main theme of this section is uh, the idea that the source of our conflicts and wars and all that is our own selfish interest. And I think that that's true, but I, I don't want us to miss this. There's something more foundational, and there's a, there's a greater theme, and the greater theme is that God wants his people to be unified. And this is something that brings disunity. So it is important we'll be talking about that source of conflict, but we need to always have in mind the, the problem with the source of conflict is that it brings disunity, which is God's uh, purpose for his church, unity and being one and, and likeness of heart and intent on one purpose, the glory of the Lord. Um, so, first of all, trouble as a, as a, at its source. What is the source of trouble? This, James poses a question right off the bat in James 4, 1. And by the way, I think that this goes right along with chapter 3, verse 13. I don't, I don't think it starts a new section. A lot of commentaries kind of give it into a new section, but uh, James has been talking about the wisdom from above brings unity and peace in the church. And here, this is something he shows that this brings disunity in the church, and we should not be about our selfish ambition and desire. So let me read James 4.1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Let me go over a few of the conflicts that James has already shared with us about the church in his day, what they were going through. Uh, they, they went through the conflict of the different classes, the poor and the rich coming together and one thinking they're better than the other and treating one another differently. You also have the conflict of some wanting to be teachers and lord it over the other people. And he said, don't let many of you become teachers like that. Um, there's a conflict in that. There's a conflict in, uh, in, in chapter 3, we talked about this, a conflict that arises when we live uh, with bitter jealousy and with selfish ambition. And it says if we live that way, then the outcome of that is disorder in all types of ways among the brothers. Another uh, problem and conflict of the church it, we see in uh, the first part of chapter 3 is that Christians say, blessed be the God who created me and made me, and then they look at other people that God made and they curse them. And James says such things shouldn't be so. So all those things are conflicts that are in the church. The literal root uh, meaning of the phrase quarrels and conflicts means wars and fights. And it's translated that way in several other places. I think uh, we, we have to be really careful when we talk about quarreling and conflicts. That, that kind of lessens the blow of what it's really saying here. I, mean, I think we should keep the idea of fights and wars. That's what's going on when we live for our selfish interest. That's exactly what we saw in verses 13 through 18 of chapter 3 when we lived that, that way. James, the, the second part of, of uh, 4.1, the B part, says this. He's, he's ask, he asks a question, what's the source of 
quarrels and conflicts, then he asks another rhetorical question uh, as an answer, and he says this, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? And then I have uh, another English translation there. Another translation says, um, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So what causes problems and fights and wars and conflicts that you guys have with each other and I have with my wife and I have with my kids and I have with other people? What, what causes that uh, is the pleasures and passions that wage war in my members. Yeah, that's, that's the cause of every conflict. Uh, all the conflicts that we have in the church. Um, the, the, the word here for passion is, is the word hedon. And we get the word hedonistic from that. You guys might have heard of that. If you uh, listen to much of John Piper, he, he likes to talk about Christian hedonism. Usually the word hedonism has uh, kind of got the negative connotation. Piper turns it around and says that we need to live our lives for the pleasure of God, and that's true. But in this particular context, he says the source of conflicts and trials and fightings and wars is that we live uh, hedonistically, meaning we're all about our own pleasures. We're living for my pleasures. And so the strife and troubles in the church uh, are really rooted in uh, the overarching reach for, I want to please myself in everything that I do. I want selfish enjoyment. Now, pleasure, is it a sin? Is it a sin? Not in itself, it's not a sin. Uh, but what's wrong with pleasure is that the driving desire for pleasures that are not in line with his kingdom's interest. They're not God-shaped pleasures, we could say. Uh, they're self-oriented pleasures. Um, in the phrase passions here, it says it's at war within you. Within you. I, I think James is getting at the idea that, man, the, the conflicts, living out this selfish ambition, this, this life that's all about me-centered, uh, brings misery. It brings misery into relationships. It, bring, it brings misery into our search for pleasures because we think we find them and then it doesn't satisfy. All those things are, are happening. Um, we're created for a particular thing. And when we fight against the thing that we're created for, it brings conflict. And we were not created... Uh, to seek and search for our own pleasures. We were created to do what? Seek for the pleasures of God. And that's what we were designed for. And we, when we seek our own pleasures, it goes against that design, and it always brings conflict, and it brings problems. Um, if your lives are filled with interpersonal conflicts, especially with believers, it's probably because we've been affected by this me living, Right? If you have conflicts with one another, it's probably because you're living for yourself. Or uh, you might think, well, no, in fact, uh, I have troubles and problems and quarrels and conflicts and fightings and wars because they live for themselves, right? Do you ever do that, think that? I'm not living for myself, but they're living for themselves. That's creating the problem. Well, let me tell you, if you weren't living for yourself, what would happen in that conflict? Probably... Uh, if, you let, if you live for them, that conflict would still go away, right? So you really can't. Does that make sense? Uh, I'm getting some shakes. Uh, yes, no, Kathy. <laughs> so uh, sometimes we think the, the problem with this world is that other people live for themselves, and it causes me conflicts. But if I'm living for other people, even if they're living for themselves, it's going to help cut that off quickly and help them say, uh, you know, get along with me and them better because I'm, I'm coming on to, to them and living for them. Um, now we can say this, especially believers. Why is it especially ugly 
that believers have quarrels and conflicts? Why is it especially ugly uh, that the caricature of the church is that there's, there's problems within the church? Why is that so bad? Well, the reason for that is that we were made for another's pleasure, not for our own pleasure. And we have that other, the Lord Jesus, in common. And so if Christians have the Lord Jesus in common and the design to live for his pleasure and for his glory in common, when we live for our own pleasures and our own glory, it's especially bad because it's especially telling. And it's also especially harmful um, and ugly. I was thinking about how we often and how I often live for myself in ways that I never really recognize that I'm living for myself, like subtle ways, or maybe even pietistic ways, like I'm, I, I think this is godly, and so I'm you know, living for, so what I did is I couldn't come up with a lot of illustrations, um, not that I don't have a lot of those uh, illustrations in my life, I didn't ask my wife, if I asked my wife, she'd probably give me a lot of them, but I, I sent you guys, some of you guys, uh, like help me out with some examples, and I was, talk, I, I was talking by text to Tim Scar, and he said back in college days, he had some friends that would add the word with Jesus when they were saying something. They, they would say, we're going hiking with Jesus. You know, we're going fishing with Jesus. And uh, it kind of spiritualized their whole life. The problem is you can live pretty much, you know, your own interests out, adding the word in Jesus, and nobody can really say anything to you, right? I'm pursuing you in Jesus' name. Right? I'm pursuing a girl or a guy, or I'm living out with my interests, and you kind of spiritualize it, and pietistically, we're still living for yourself. Adding the word in Jesus doesn't mean it's really for Jesus, not really for his pleasure, so we have to be really careful with that. Um, then, I, let's see, I had a couple of other ones. Yeah, one is when, um, here's, here's one that I thought of, and I didn't put some of the other ones on here, but um, sometimes we, when, when things go well for us, like we get the pleasure that we most want, we kind of think, well, God is favoring me. Have you ever heard uh, an NFL player at the end of a game that they just barely squeaked out and won? Man, God is for us. And I wonder about the losing team. Is God against them? I don't know. But, you know, we, we often hide by those, b behind those kind of things. But sometimes we think that God is favoring me by giving me the pleasures that I want. And let me tell you that God's word sometimes says that when he gives you the pleasures that you want, that's not blessings, that's the curse. Does that make sense? You want beauty? You can have it, and that's all you get. And then what? It eventually fades, right? And falls. You want wealth and riches? You got it, and then at some point it goes away. But here's what's worse. What if it never goes away? What if you stay rich your whole life and you think that, man, my riches are satisfying my soul, then you die. That's even worse, if that's not found out. So troubles, the source of troubles are living for ourselves a me-centered life. Um, troubles as, trouble as it travels, verse 2. So what happens if we live this me-centered life and we keep living it out and it travels through our communities and through our families, uh, what does it look like? James 2, um, after James establishes that the heart of our disunity, our troubles, uh, the source is our own pleasures, he goes and he, and he talks about what it looks like out in community if we keep living that way. James 2, the first part. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet 
and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So if these um, lustful desires, this me-centered mentality, are allowed to travel through our families and through our lives and through our communities, uh, they create lustful, selfish desires. And they lead to some pretty serious things. I think you would agree. What do they lead to? They lead to murder. Pretty serious thing. Um, you know, I could have put this question out there. Give me some examples of where selfish ambition leads to murder, right? But I think that God gives us a really, really good one in the Word. King David, right? So King David, I think you, if, if I read this, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. If that phrase was in the dictionary, King David's picture, and mine and yours, would be right next to it. So King David looked at Bathsheba and longed for her, but couldn't have her, and so he made a way by murdering to try to have her, and it brought troubles his whole life long. Um, so pursuits of pleasure can cause actual physical murder, but we've also seen in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, it also creates murder in the heart. In other words, I, I want to murder you, you know, and, and I say, you fool, and I, I speak curses to the people that are made in God's image, which also is murder us. The second example of these troubles as they travel through communities, it says that um, you desire and, and you're frustrated because you can't have it, so you murder to get it. The second one is you covet. Um, you, you strongly long for something that's not yours, and you cannot obtain it, so you fight and quarrel. Same words as you uh, war and battle. And uh, I, I think we have to be careful. I don't think that James is lightening the load. He's not saying, well, you murder, or you, or you might just quarrel and fight. I think these are equivalent. When we fight and quarrel and conflict, what James is saying, it does the same thing. It's like murdering brothers and sisters. Uh, the Lord wants us uh, to see the evil and disunity. Uh, I, we've been in this section about wisdom from above versus wisdom from below. And through the whole section, God is saying wisdom from above is seen in the unity and peace of brothers and sisters. We see that if we're living wisely, then we're connected with brothers and sisters and we're unified with them intent on one purpose, and that's the gospel and God's kingdom and not our selfish interests. I was asked a question last week in the Q&A after the service. What is one thing that we as a body could do if you become our next pastor that we could support you in the church with? If, if, if there's only one thing, that's kind of hard to do. And my answer was fight for, not fight with one another, but fight for peace and fight for unity. Uh, and um, I, I think that that's, God, God longs for that. We see it all, all around because if we don't have peace and unity, then we're destroying the testimony of God before others and um, he, he's praying for that. So we have to fight for unity within the church. Why? Why do we have to fight for it? I think it's because we draw so often from that source of selfishness. I mean, that source is full. That source is all around us. And we draw from it day after day after day. And we have to fight not to draw from that source from which troubles and conflicts come from, our own pleasures that are not trained and shaped by God. Um, True pleasures that last are rooted in the pleasures and purpose of God. When the pleasure-seeking person doesn't get what he wants, he's not satisfied. That's what it's saying here. It's like you, you, you desire, but you're frustrated, and you don't have it, and you covet, 
you can't obtain it. And it, what, what they're saying, what that verse is saying is they don't satisfy you. And so you quarrel in conflict because you're not satisfied and you're never satisfied. You can never get at what you really want, um, that deep satisfaction. Um, Samuel Johnson, in one of the writings that I read this week, says this, of all that have tried the selfish experiment, let one come forth and say that he's succeeded. He that has made gold his idol, has it satisfied him? He that has toiled in the fields of ambition, has he been repaid? He that has ransacked every theater of sensual enjoyment, is he content? Can any answer in the affirmative? Not one. Then another writer said, said it real succinctly. This is really not good counsel, but it's true. The best cure for hedonism or self-pleasure is attempt to practicing it. In other words, if you want to try to please yourself and find satisfaction, go and have all the pleasures you can muster up, and you're going to find at the end of the day it doesn't satisfy. Um, man, the, the effects and the degenerating effects of my pleasure first on the body of Christ and on his kingdom. This section in verse 2 uh, just kind of oozes with frustration and disappointment and um, maybe unquieted pleasure-seeking. Un unquieted means that we have this, our, our soul screams to, to, to get pleasure ourselves, and we run for it in any and every way we think of, and unquieted, it brings uh, turmoil. I'll read it again. You desire and literally lust for, and you do not have, so you murder, and you're frustrated. You covet, hotly desire, and you can't obtain, and you're frustrated again, and you fight, and conflicts are everywhere. Well, that frantic me pleasure, it, it never satisfies. Your soul is never at rest. And you think about that. Um, if you're going for, well, Lord, I know, if I had, if I could just gain the favor and the friendship and the love of this person, I would be good. And then you work and you labor and you labor and you finally gain the friendship and, of this person and they, they like move towards you and you're like, yes. And then you immediately think, what do I have to do to what? Keep it. What do I have to do to keep their pleasure? What do I have to do to keep their interest? And we're always fighting for it. We can never, ever rest because we're afraid we're going to lose the thing that we grab a hold of uh, just for a moment. And it doesn't satisfy and it creates all kind of havoc. Well, that uh, leads us to the final point. So trouble at its source is our own selfish ambition. That we live for self, the me pleasures. Trouble as it travels, as it gets into our families and our lives, it creates all kind of conflict, murders, and, um, and such. And lastly, uh, actually it's not lastly because we have Jesus, we have the hope, uh, but third point is this, um, trouble troubles everything. And we could say it this way, our self-centered desires, but this me living brings trouble that troubles everything, and it even troubles our prayers, it messes our prayers up. Um, let me read it. This is James 2, uh, the last part in, in verse 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly, or another version says with wrong motives, and uh, you, you ask to spend it on your own passions or pleasures. Now, so um, one problem is we spend... If we spend it on ourselves, we don't have it to spend on other people, right? If you go out and, and you, you know, go to cookout 
Every night of the week, college students do that. Um, and and if, they, if they do that, day after day after day, they come to the weekend and they don't have any money to take out their date, right? They've spent it on themselves. Henry knows this. Yeah, Molly is like, Henry, if you wouldn't spend it on yourself, you could take me on a date. Anyway. But it says that we spend it on our own pleasures, and the truth is that in prayer, and it's talking about prayer here as a particular, but if we spend our prayers on us, Lord, give me, Lord, I want, Lord, give me this, that, we don't have any room to spend on other people. And so particularly uh, our, our self-interest messes up our prayers. God tells us we should pray for one another that we don't fall into sin. But if I'm spending it on myself, I, I, don't, I don't ever get to the point of praying for one another and that we don't fall into sin. God tells us to pray for deliverance from sin. Uh, God tells us to pray for clarity and boldness, to speak more clearly, not just for yourself, but for other people in particular. Paul said, pray for me that I would speak more boldly. Well, if I'm spending all my prayers on what I want, I, I don't have any prayers left to spend on other people, uh, particularly also salvation and growth and grace. Paul prays for that, tells us we should pray for the salvation and growth and grace of others. But if I spend all my prayers on myself, I don't have any to spend on you. But you can, you can broaden that. If you, if you spend all your time on you, what? You don't have time for others and kingdom interests. If you spend all your pursuits and pleasures on you, you don't have time to pursue the pleasures of, of the Lord that are lasting and everlasting. Um, so how in the world um, do we pray? So it says that it messes up our prayers. You have and you do not have because you don't ask. So we ask because, and when we do ask, we spend it on ourselves and we don't have anything to spend on other people. But partly, if you're a believer, sometimes you're like, well, I know that I probably shouldn't ask everything for myself. Yeah, that's kind of hypocritical. And so what you do is you don't pray. And so you have because you, or you don't have because you don't ask. Um, how should we pray? Well, a couple of things. We should pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. So even if you're asking, Lord, would you give me this pleasure? You could say, but if it's not shaped, God-shaped, if it's not kingdom interest pleasure, if it's to spend on my own self, would, you, would your will be done and not my own? Jesus taught us to pray that, right? Your will be done on earth as it even is in heaven. Um, also, uh, Lord, I think you could pray this. Lord, would you give me kingdom-shaped interests, God-shaped interests? Let me give you two, uh, two things about pleasure. Uh, first, first thing is this. God is the author of all true and lasting pleasure. God is the only one who is the author and a giver of all true and lasting pleasure. C.S. Lewis, um, some of you love to read him, he's a great writer. In Screwtape Letters, um, the senior devil is, is teaching uh, an understudy, worm, Wormwood, how to be uh, a devil, basically, how to be a demon and to do the activity. He says this, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its uh, healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one pleasure. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which, ha which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure 
is the formula. So what is he saying? He's not saying get rid of all pleasures. What he's saying is, well, let's just, let's just work in people to want to live for their own pleasures and not for the pleasures that God has created. The pleasures that God has created is enemy ground for the devil. Um, that's, why scripture, that's why Psalms says these kind of things. Let me give you a few verses. Psalms are filled with the language of enjoyment and joy and pleasures forevermore in the Lord. Let me read a few. Psalm 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In um, Psalm 34, 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, let's see. What's the next one? Go to the next. There we go. Yep. And Psalm 16, 11, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hands are pleasures forevermore. So God doesn't say don't pursue pleasures. He's saying pursue lasting pleasures, God-shaped pleasures, kingdom interest pleasures, uh, and then they're real and they're lasting. That's why the psalmist pursued God. It's like to pursue God and his pleasures is to pursue life. And in uh, Psalm 42, 1 and 2, it says, as the deer pants for the water, longs for the water, desires the water uh, for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In Psalm 63, 1, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there are no water. So uh, peace and unity of the church is rooted in us desiring and longing and going after pleasure, but the pleasure of God, not the pleasure of man. Uh, the second thing, the first thing we said about pleasure is this, um, that God is the author of all true pleasure. The second thing is that man naturally is built to seek pleasure, right? We, we do what pleases us. We always do what most pleases us. Do you know that? You might not believe that, but every single thing you do, you do because it most pleases you. Let me read a quote. Um, this is by Blaise Pascal. He's a mathematician, but also a theologian. Uh, he's the one that said that God has put in us a, a God-shaped vacuum or a God-shaped void that we have to do, but that's not this quote. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different uh, means and they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attending uh, with different views. Uh, they will never... Uh, the will, sorry, the will never takes the, the least step but to this object, our own pleasure. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Uh, they do it, why? Even hanging themselves, they said, this is, this is the most pleasurable thing I could do. I just got to get out of the misery. So this is the least miserable thing, just end it all. So every single thing that you do and I do has a bent toward our own pleasures, our own satisfaction. Man is naturally made to seek pleasure, but redeemed man is being redeemed to seek the pleasures of God. And that's what you and I need to pray for. Lord, take away my bent for sinning and my own pleasures and help me have a bent for the pleasures of God to, seek the, to delight myself in the Lord and that the desires of my heart would be God-shaped. They would be kingdom interest ones. Well, the last... Uh, section, thankfully, is that Jesus is the hope for all our troubles. And uh, 
Jesus prayed for unity of the church. And I love John 17. I go there often. There's so many places that talk about unity and peace. But when you have Jesus praying for it, and he's saying, Father, would you make them one? Make them unified. In the same way that you, Father, and I are one, so that the world may know the love of Christ. The way that you and I can best reach the watching world is the way we live uh, with one another for the pleasures of God and not for the pleasures of ourselves. Jesus lived a selfless life. That means he didn't spend everything on himself. He had everything left to spend on us. He didn't live with selfish ambition. Now you think, well, he he lived for his own glory. But what's really interesting is that in Jesus Christ, our greatest satisfaction and pleasures come together with, the, with him wanting his own glory. What I, mean, what I mean by that is this, that Jesus wanted all the glory, why? So that he could share his glory with his people. It's the only true and lasting glory anyway. So Jesus was never selfish, even in the idea of longing for glory, because he wanted to share that with his people. In Christ, he... Um, And in setting aside our interests and in setting our minds and focus on the things above and not on the things that are here, that's the answer to disunity. I want to set my affections on Jesus and his pleasures, not my own. Um, Woven into our very lives from the very earliest days is this my pleasure, right? You don't have to teach your kids mine, right? Mine. Do you have to, now when somebody gets your stuff, say mine, mine, mine. You don't have to teach them that. Uh, it's built in, woven in our deepest fabric is our fallen nature that uh, our default orientation is to live for me. But Jesus came not to be served, but he came to serve. And he came not to get, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't have the selfish interest and selfish pleasure that you and, and I do. If you've been living for your, your life all about you, if you've been spending all your prayers and your time and your energies and your self-seeking pleasures on yourself, um, know this, it's not going to ever satisfy. There's a great song called, All My Life Long I Had Panted, um, from a drink from some cool spring. But then, he, then the, the author of that song says, but everything I gathered around me, it, it mocked me. It's like, ah, you thought it was going to satisfy, it didn't satisfy you. Only thing that can satisfy us is Christ. And Jesus Christ came and he gave up his life. He didn't come and take life away from others. He came and gave up his life so we could take off his life and we could actually live. So the answer to quarrels and conflicts is to call on Jesus and say, Jesus, I need your life to transform my life. I need your life and on the cross that you've taken my sins and the consequences of my sins and my quarrels and my conflicts and my selfishness. I need that to rest on you because it would crush me. And as it rests on you, then you have passages like 2 Corinthians that say when we understand that he died for us to take away our bent for sinning, then we should no longer live for ourselves but for him. And so today, if you find yourself in conflict and quarrels and wars with one another in the body, uh, look to Jesus. Jesus came, and he's the life-giving one. Um, Look to him. Let me read one more quote. 
This will move us to the table. In, in Christ, the desire for his glory and, the, and your desire for satisfaction come together. We taste the old thou living bread and long to feast upon thee still. We drink of thee the fountainhead and thirst our souls from thee to fill. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the word that's before us. It's a convicting word. We live our lives more from the wisdom from below, the wisdom that says, live for yourself. You know what you need. You know what will give you joy and pleasures. Father, your word says that's no wisdom at all. We're made for something more. We're made for the pleasures, the lasting pleasures of God. So, Father, I pray today that through Jesus we would see that he came, that he didn't live for his own pleasures, not for selfish ambition, not for selfish gain, not for the pleasures of the world. He gave them all up when he could have had them so that we could have the pleasures of the Lord eternally. Father, I pray that you would help us to delight ourselves in you. And, Father, that we would not, not pray, but that our prayers will be transformed and changed that we would understand that everything we gather around us here on earth only mocks our cry for satisfaction and joy. And Father, help us to see that at your right hand are pleasures that last forevermore. Father, pleasures that fill, like this last quote, pleasures that are the bread of life, the life-giving bread. Father, uh, pleasures that are coming from the fountainhead of Christ, not from the source of ourselves, but the source of, of Christ. Father, I pray as we transition to the Lord's table that you would help us to see uh, in, in that picture the selfless life that, that you lived. You didn't come, Father, to, get, to, to, to be served, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for us so that we can no longer live for ourselves, but for the Lord Jesus. In his name.